What they do is they threaten the government, the secret government, that if you go to disclosure, we'll consider that a hostile act and terrible things will happen. We'll start sinking Navy ships and stuff like this. What they're also doing is they're breeding hybrids. Welcome back. I'm here with Dr. John Brandenburg. John, welcome back, my friend. Well, always a pleasure and honor to be on your show, Sean. Okay, so last week or this week, at least in the last seven days, there have been rumors right now that MUFON has been hacked into. There's also from a, again, this is all rumor stuff. I can't can't confirm or, or deny it. The, Typical. Apparently, apparent, apparently, the source or the point of origin of that attack was Eastern United States. You have Kirkpatrick out there just saying, "Nothing to see here. These aren't the droids you're looking for." Ooh, like- <laughs> you know, no one's talked to me and showed any evidence. By the way, Bob Salas talked to him, right? So, like, Bob Salas, nothing to see there is effectively, you know, by implication, is saying. Sure. And it feels very much like the empire is striking back. My view is I'm just going to figure this stuff out on my own. The government's never going to tell me anything. No, no, the government's not going to tell you. I don't don't trust them anyway. So I'm just doing my own thing. And in order to figure out what's going on now, it appears that you still have kind of a whisper network you know you have yeah. folks that you still talk to and yeah it sounds like and again anything that comes we can't really confirm or deny it no so no it might it's just be reports. deliberate could be deliberate misinformation disinformation we don't know you're just relaying what somebody told you and i want to be very clear with that we're not endorsing that this is true or not this is just this is what you're hearing this is kind of the chatter that you're hearing from people who maybe closer to the source of this information. The other thing that's important to note is you had a theory, and again, the reason I mentioned MUFON is you had a article you published in 1990 in MUFON magazine about a theory. So the purpose of this episode is you're going to discuss the theory, but it appears that this whisper network is confirming some aspects of that theory and it might yes. also explain why we're getting this. It seems like we were going gangbusters and disclosure, and then all of a sudden, the empire not only is starting to strike back, but it's almost cartoonish. You also have people on Wikipedia are going through, and these people, by the way, are led by someone who spent her entire career taking baby photos at a, a department store. And her people have been going on to Wikipedia and changing the reports of people who are, you know, have PhDs, you know, aren't calling them or deleting out doctor or removing their awards if they have anything to do with this topic. So those three data points, there is definitely a deliberate effort to shut this thing down. The problem is it's it's so ham-fisted and ridiculous. <laughs> and by the way, Kirkpatrick gets full mainstream media coverage the other thing for context if you look at historical clippings all this stuff i just have to tell another story too this is this is tell tell me a story so on my radio show is going to have a guy on and i'm not going to say his name because i want to protect him 
and we were going to start going over. He has like an ingestion service, uses AI to tabulate all these old reports. And we were going to look at when's the most common day, when's the most com- you know, common day of sightings, what are the races that are reported, to things like just, just yeah, taking the yeah, data. No, no, that's that would be a very interesting study. Well, because all throughout history, or not throughout history, throughout recent history, there have been plenty of local news reports, but at the national level, there appears to have been some broad blackout or of whatever course. you want to call it. You never see these sorts of, or very rarely see these reports in mainstream media coverage, but you very often have seen it. Very detailed reports, very honest journalists that have been stretching back all the way to at least 1947. And before that, actually, in the 1890s. Right. So there's always been a deliberate effort right now. There appears to be a full cart press, but it's very ham-fisted. Like the people who are doing it aren't very sophisticated. Like they're not very nope. smart. So, it's hard to get good help nowadays. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you're, this is like midwit, midwit level kind of right, um, right. Kind of effort. So now I say that, and it's very easy for anyway. Going back to this, we we're going to do this data analysis, and the day before I was going to interview this guy because I was going to interview him first on my show, and then I was going to have him on a on a radio show. He said, "I can't do it." I've been, I had two straight nights of nightmares and then he wouldn't call me. He wouldn't talk to me. Nope. He wouldn't. So this effort is multi spectral. Like there's, you know, maybe it's just anxiety, but I don't, I don't think so. I think somebody came and uh, talked to him. Well, or did something else. So you've heard of remote viewing, but there's also something. Yeah. There's, there's a, yeah, there's a remote, uh, there's other, other things that go along with the remote viewing thing. So there's something that definitely go. And then there was another guy who was a former or current NRO employee. His name was mentioned on a much larger podcast than mine. And suddenly, you know, the w- with Bledsoe, Chris Bledsoe, and the episode was doing amazingly. And then all of a sudden it stopped growing. So when this podcaster called YouTube and said, well, what's going on? His minder at YouTube said, oh, it was shadow banned. It's just like, well, why was it shadow banned? And she said, I don't know. It's just <laughs> my, note, my notes. And no, it was an honest answer, too. She said, my notes say it's a decision made at the executive level. So our guess is that he mentioned this person's name and it was being distributed around a little bit too much. Sure. So it might be separate from this otherwise, you know, other full court press. But, you know, if I'm a little bit too aggressive or feisty, right, they could just make a phone call. And oh, oh. oh. My it's funny. I'm obsessed recently with the last 200 days of World War II in Europe, and the German army fought right up until the last. I mean, they were fighting house to house in Berlin. Finally, when the United States and China clash, the world will never be the same, especially when forces beyond reality threaten to intervene. What if the United States went to war with the People's Republic of China? How would these rivals fight for supremacy on land, sea, air, and across the stochastic streams of time? What wonder weapons would be unleashed? What horrors would emerge from the irradiated sludge of the South China Sea? What heroes would rise and forever change the course of history? Tread into the deepest and darkest dimensions of the multiverse, 
gaze through a kaleidoscope of fractured realities, and bear witness to the disturbing visions of World War III from today's greatest minds in science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Weird World War, China. Available now from Bain Books at Bain.com. And when the Soviets would, you know, it was, it, well, of course, then you had the Battle of the Bulge, this big offensive in the middle of winter. The German army just never gave up. And it would counterattack, and they fought very hard, even though they were completely outnumbered and overwhelmed, finally. And I see a similar scenario here, that we have a faction in the U.S. government that is going to really fight until the Fuhrer bunker experience happens. And my own suggestion is that Congress passed a law giving a blanket pardon to anyone involved in this as long as they will share all the information. Give them a blanket pardon. Cut them slack. Okay, they were just following orders. A long-standing program. Okay, let's give them the benefit of the doubt. Let God handle. I don't think that would else. even do it. I think this is about power. I think oh, it is about things. power. It's about power, and it's that they, these midwits think that they're able to handle it and the average person is not which is the most paternalistic condescending and ridiculous well knowledge sean knowledge is power right and power once you have power you don't like giving it up and if that power is bound up in the like knowledge of the whole et situation then you want to hang on to that power and that means hanging on to that knowledge. You resist disclosure because the cover-up is the source of your power. But, yes, but let us continue. Well, let's go back to the original thing we talked about. Yeah, so you're hearing things in your whisper network. Right. First of all, what are you hearing? And then let's delve into what your hypothesis was in that move up. Okay, what I'm hearing is that the U.S. government, the core secret of why disclosure is being thwarted and resisted so strongly is that the secret government has been threatened by one or more alien groups that if they go to disclosure, this will be considered a hostile act. We could end up in an interstellar war. They are, of course, afraid of that. Not only would they all lose power, but then they would be in a war was somebody from outer space, an Independence Day sort of situation, or Earth versus the Flying Saucers, which I was just watching last night. Or there's another great movie, The Mysterians, made by the same group that made the Godzilla movies. It's made in 1957, shows women being abducted into flying saucers, bases on the far side of the moon, and underground alien bases, and human traitors, all in one movie. And when it was made in 1957, Japan was still basically under U.S. military occupation. I don't know if it was official or not by that point, but they were rebuilding their society or along with American advice and consent. So I view that movie as required viewing for people and to see it's what called, it's called the Mysterians. Mysterians, and you can access it free on the Internet. Just do a Google the Mysterians, just like the, the Mysterians. Rock Group, the Mysterians. In fact, they were named after this movie. And it's 1957. 
And it's got these hot Japanese women being abducted into flying saucers, hybridization between human and aliens, bases on the far side of the moon, alien bases, the lavish use of directed energy weapons, not only finally by the Mysterians, but by the humans are quick. They're quick learners in this yeah, that, movie. That, so- that sounds familiar, by the way. That's right. And so and that, and that uh, I, recommend, and whatnot, right? I recommend it to everybody as part of their education of how much the government knew back in 1957, 10 years after, roughly 10 years after Roswell. So what I am hearing is that the secret U.S. government, a bunch of unelected officials who are presiding over this secret treaty, the retired Israeli general who handled space security for them, has confirmed what was reported by John Lear, who was formerly flew with the uh, CIA Air Force Air America, that we had a secret treaty with one group of aliens, I guess, as the Greys, and that this Israeli has now confirmed that, yes, we have a secret treaty. Now, apparently, one of the provisions of that treaty is that the U.S. government maintains the cover-up. The cover-up goes away. This makes alien activities like abducting people much more difficult. People will be waiting for them with double-barrel shotguns on the ground, and everybody will get magnetometers so they can sense the alien spacecraft approaching and be prepared for them. So the cover-up gives free operating space for the aliens to do their hybridization experiments. We'll get into why they are doing that. But the aliens have apparently warned the secret government that they will consider it a hostile act leading perhaps to war if the cover-up is ended. And one of the things that's going on, you notice there's a lot of reports of our Navy ships being swarmed by kind of alien craft. And that's a form of geopolitical intimidation. They're basically threatening to take out our ships at sea. That scenario, by the way, is seen in Earth versus the Flying Saucers. One of the mm-hmm. first places the flying saucer beings, you know, which are basically just the greys in the movie, it's made in 1958, they sink a destroyer as an example to the U.S. government not to resist them. To advertise on Through Glass Darkly, email ads at gmail.com. So the core secret, one of the core reasons for not ending the cover-up could be that they believe the aliens, one or more alien groups, will react very hostily and will view it as a hostile act if we end the cover-up. So that would give any reasonable person pause about whether the cover-up should be continued at least for a little while. It would certainly induce paralysis, if nothing else. So that's the whispering I'm hearing. Yeah, I actually think it would be advantageous, if all this is true, if there is a hostile alien civilization, it would be highly advantageous for them to keep this cover-up quiet, because I'm not even sure that this country survives the next year you know, in terms of the election. And I think the longer they keep this secret, the less likely the country will survive because the level of distrust 
is oh, it's, it's so it, low at this point that this is their no last one shot. No one trusts the government anymore. Yeah. They know the government is hiding something important from them. And the government and is not acting, at least not acting in their own best, in the interests of the American people anymore. It's got some other agenda. Somebody was telling me, you know, I'm getting slightly paranoid about the government. I said, being slightly paranoid nowadays is a sign of intelligence, I said. Mm -hmm. And so this may be one of the core obstacles to disclosure is the threat of hostile alien reaction if we do. And I have heard the gray presence here at Earth. It is reported, the little short gray aliens, as a extraterrestrial threat whose existence is classified is how it was described that's real nice of the government to let us know that there's stuff out there that's abducting people and well you know. i mean when, i mean ronnie reagan was warning us he warned us four times and i think part of what he was doing was he knew that the aliens were also listening when he was basically trying to bring the public, he was basically preparing the public for an alliance with the Russians against the ETs. And I think the aliens blinked. And this, you know, the Star Wars program was always about a space defense system. And they weren't, they were sometimes a little vague about what sort of defense system, who are we defending against? Well, there's so much misinformation out there now that let's say this hypothesis is true. And I have to say that because there's an entirely other narrative that the Greys are our space brothers and they're here to help us out. But the question is, is what kind of a friend has to come under the cloak of night, abduct people without their consent? Oh, you agreed to it before you were born, right? Like if a human did that oh. and used that excuse... Oh, yeah, I know I kidnapped you, but you, you said it was okay before you were born. Like, people would oh, laugh it's, you it's, out of a courtroom. So, it, anyway, I'm I, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm angry, but I'm like, I, I don't know if the anger is justified, because <laughs> the problem is by being so obscure and obtuse on this topic, right, the government is feeding all these sort of things, when if people just knew what the truth was, they could make the appropriate decision. Right now, people will be just be walking right into craft. And that might be the right thing to do, or they might be dinner. No, yeah. Yeah. Right? It's, it, it well it depends on who's flying the craft. I mean, uh, right, but that's the thing. People like, have been be on board, uh, invited on board. There's several reports of people being invited on board by people who look basically just like human beings and they're treated nicely. And nobody sticks anything up their behinds. And then they're taken for a kind of a ride and then brought back to the same spot and said, if anybody asks you who did this, just say it was the Pleiadians or somebody. And yeah, the one guy then reported to the Air Force his experience. And the Air Force <laughs> officer who spoke to him said, you know, you shouldn't be climbing on flying saucers, <laughs> you know, because some of these people are some of these aliens are really hostile, he says, to human beings. And he said, oh, really? Well, well, you know what? Why don't you put out a press release and let the rest of humanity know, dumbass? Right? I, I know. <laughs> I, I know. So we have an extraterrestrial threat whose existence is classified. And that same entity, that same culture has apparently threatened our government that if it ends the cover up, there will be big trouble. And now 
we must look at this in the big picture. By the way, what, uh, without revealing yeah. too much, where is this information coming from? Like, is it from the bowels of the DIA? Is it from retired people who still have contacts? Just broadly, CIA friendly. Uh, you, you, you're, you're, you know, I, I think, I think you've covered it pretty well. I worked in Washington D.C. for 15 years, so I talked to a lot of people. I heard a lot because of my interest in the planet Mars and the dead civilization there that was apparently wiped out by somebody. And that all happened before the dinosaurs. It just shows that in the cosmos, bad stuff happens just like it happens on Earth. That's all it shows, basically. But basically, I worked there for 15 years, and I still talk to some of the people who I worked with. And I wrote a science fiction novel where I put that fact in you know that report in there and several people who were on the inside read the novel and gave it very high marks they basically one of them said to me i'm amazed how many things you got right <laughs> he, he so, didn't specify everything that i but you know two of the people who are i know deep on the inside said oh this is a great novel this is right on and one of them even so, called it war and peace. So why aren't we having uncontrolled disclosure? I mean, or we're not uncontrolled. It's called catastrophic. Well, it, this disclosure is happening kind of as guerrilla warfare now. The cover-up is breaking up. And it is my understanding that several of the intelligence agencies in the federal government, and especially the Navy, wants the cover-up to end. They recognize it may have served its purpose in its time, but it's right. time for it to end and for us to face facts that were threatened from outer space and we have to mobilize. And <laughs> the other thing I heard is that the, <laughs> the big defense contractors <laughs> want the cover up to end too because they anticipate trillions of dollars for Losses. a space defense buildup. Well, uh, yeah. We're and gonna, the, and Okay, to give you the big picture, by the way, why is this situation occurring is that if you look at the map of the stars, if you sit above the galaxy, you know, it's like a old vinyl record with a big bump in the middle. Okay, we're out on the vinyl part of the record. And as it turns out, there's spiral arms like that you can see in other galaxies. There's two spiral arms. It's the Orion arm. And then it's called the Sagittarius arm. That's kind of towards the galaxy center and outward. When you look at Orion, you're looking at, at galactic out. When you look into Sagittarius, you're looking into the galactic core. We are on a spur arm that connects the two arms. So these bands of where stars are very dense, mm -hmm. two lanes, we are on a bridge that connects those two, and we're almost dead center on it. Yeah, we're on a choke point. We're at the we're on a choke, a point. choke point. Right. And and not only that, but locally, if you go down to a more, you know, hundred light year level, we are in this almost the exact center of a galactic void where there are very few stars. Apparently there was a big supernova explosion where we are sitting now. It blew all the gas and stars, all the star stuff out of this region. So very few stars formed. For sort of in this big void, there's a wall of stars around us. 
dense stars, dense fields of stars. It's about 200 light years across is this void. And we are almost exact dead center. In it. And apparently that is just a quirk of fate. We drifted in here. We weren't born here. We drifted in. Now, we're surrounded by this wall of dense stars where there would probably be a lot of other intelligent beings like ourselves. Let's assume that the Earth is not unique, that there are other intelligent beings out there. That's completely scientific. Okay, so we're surrounded by these walls of stars in a big circle around us. We're almost dead center in the middle of the circle. And we're visited by many different species, according to reports. Many different types of aliens visit here. Now, they're predominantly, if you do the statistics, I've seen is that 60% of the reports are of the little short gray aliens with the big heads and the dark eyes, or things similar to them. Then there are people who look just like us. Then there are what's called talls that are kind of like us, only taller. Tall and skinny. I call them the Lakers. <laughs> so many different species are visiting here. That means this region of space is not controlled by any one group. We're in a, some kind of neutral zone. So if you like borrowing the old Star Trek terminology, we're in the center of the Romulan neutral zone, apparently. That makes us strategic. We own Boardwalk and Park Place. We own it. And this is one reason we're like Luxembourg in the galaxy. We're surrounded by other major powers, but it's convenient to them to have this neutral buffer zone in the middle, and we're stuck right in the middle of it. That means we have not only enemies out there, we have friends. We have people who want to preserve that status quo just like Luxembourg survived. They want us to survive as being sovereign. We don't want any one power from the neighbors to dominate this place. So that means we have friends. And that's probably the reason our culture has evolved. You know, the Klingon battle fleet never assumed orbit around the earth and informed us, good news, you're part of now the Klingon empire. I mean, in the history of earth, People would wake up in the morning and the French fleet is in the harbor. And the admirals are in the Sultan's palace and they made a deal. You're now part of the French Empire. Congratulations. That did not happen to us. And it's because of apparently our strategic location that nobody was in the interest of nobody around us for one particular group to dominate here. So the people who are trying to dominate here the greys principally, are attracting a lot of hostility from the other powers, let us say. Let's say that is a reasonable assumption at this point. If you're Luxembourg and the Germans are trying to do a covert takeover of your government, the French intelligence, the Belgian intelligence, and British intelligence is also active in the capital of Luxembourg City. Try and prevent that. So, in the meantime, we've advanced very rapidly, and we have all this captured technology, which we are apparently successfully reverse engineering. We're becoming more and more powerful. And there's another historical analogy I like besides Luxembourg. That's Japan. 
Japan defended itself against the Mongols. And then what happened is the Spanish conquered the Philippines to the south, and they heard about, and the Philippines was a pretty poor place. It didn't, mm -hmm. it basically Stone Age tribes. Then they found out about this very rich kingdom to the north with beautiful women, lots of silk, lots of gold. Streets were paved with gold. <laughs> the doorknobs were all silver. Just the thing. And these guys are veterans of the conquest of Mexico. You know, that was a big, big treasure house. Made Spain into the richest country in Europe, the conquest of Mexico. So they conquered the Philippines. It's a bunch of islands. It takes them a couple of years. Their dream, though, is to sail north and conquer this place called Japan. They get up to Japan, finally, the conquistadors, and they run into the samurai. And not only are the samurai very ferocious and willing to die on the beach fighting the Spanish, and the, the samurai have good steel. They're ferocious fighters, think nothing of throwing away their lives, fighting invaders. And not only that, but they have gunpowder. Where did they get gunpowder? From the damn Portuguese. At the time, the Portuguese were independent and rivals of the Spanish. The Portuguese had arrived in Japan, and they were willing to sell the Japanese all sorts of stuff in order to get silk and various things. One of the things the uh, samurai warlords wanted was gunpowder and muskets. So the Portuguese just sold them. They showed them how to make gunpowder, how to make gu muskets. They sold them a bunch of gunpowder and muskets. So when the Spanish arrived, not only were they facing the samurai on the beach with their big katana swords, but they faced ranks of musketeers. And once, even though the Japanese did not have cannons, they had a lot of musketeers, and every samurai warlord had a rank of musketeers because they were a bunch of feudal fighting barons at the time. Japan was not united. But that was enough to deter the Spanish and convince them that they could not conquer. Japan was too far away. It was too advanced. They had gunpowder, good steel, they had horses. And not only that, they were too damn warlike to conquer. And that's us. We have nuclear weapons, which is apparently the gunpowder, the great equalizer in the cosmos. We're far away from any of the major powers. We're in the center of the neutral zone. And we have nuclear weapons. And we also have acquired a quite quite reasonably a reputation for being ferocious fighters who will fight to the death. And all the movies we've seen from Hollywood, from Independence Day way back to the Mysterians and Independence Day and then Earth versus the Flying Saucers, War of the Worlds, were always depicted as having ferocious fights with aliens from outer space and winning. So we are considered a tough nut. I will also say, and this is as a scientist, and I, but I believe this very strongly, I believe it with all my heart, is that if the gray aliens could take this place by force of arms with reasonable losses, 
they would have taken. They would have done it already, but they can't. They're deterred by the other powers. The reason they're so interested in our nuclear weapons is because they're afraid of them. They know that it doesn't matter what your spaceship is made out of, what super alloy. If it gets hit with a tactical nuclear weapon on the nose of a Sidewinder missile, it's dead. And so is all its crew. And you don't even need to hit them with nuclear weapons, apparently. They're not bulletproof. And you can knock them down with intense electromagnetic beams. Apparently, it jams their onboard equipment, and they crash. In fact, if you listen to all the reports of crash retrievals, some of them were apparently forced down because they had battles with other alien groups in the neighborhood. But some of them were knocked down by the U.S. and other militaries, especially the Russians. The story I heard in Washington, D.C. was that the, and this is kind of comical, what happened was we had Roswell. Mm -hmm. The United States knew because of an incident called Gabe Gerardo in Missouri, mm -hmm. which Harry Truman trained at as a army officer to serve in combat in World War I. But right after World War I, there was this crash of this craft during the Depression and at Cape Girardeau, and Truman was a Mason. And then Masons are kind of a, a spider work of intelligence sharing networks all through every society. So he knew all about what happened at Cape Girardeau, that they recovered alien bodies. And they, in fact, they found a, they had to go find a priest to give them holy rites. They didn't know what else to do. And the FBI showed up in Army Intelligence. They gave them a good Christian burial because they didn't know what else to do and carted away the wreckage. So then the government knew in its innermost levels about the aliens from outer space. And after War of the Worlds by H.G. Wells in 1900, basically, turn of the century, everybody was aware of the idea of aliens from outer space and that they could be hostile. Because that book was widely read. And people were seeing canals on Mars, what they thought were canals. So they thought Mars might be the abode of intelligence. All of that was common knowledge in mm -hmm. the culture of any educated person in this country or in Europe. So the big picture is the U.S. government has known since even before World War II they were being watched. And at Roswell, most people are not aware of this, but people don't know what was stored at Roswell. All of the nuclear weapons on Earth were stored at Roswell in 1947 with B-29 bombers to carry them. All five nuclear weapons on Earth were stored there after World War II. And the gray aliens apparently didn't lose just one ship over Roswell. They lost two in the same night. Apparently, it was a shoot-down incident. The, the government had night fighters patrolling over Roswell. The night fighters, by the way, were P-61 Black Widows. World War II night fighter, twin-engine fighter, had four 50-caliber machine guns in its roof, turret, and four 20-millimeter cannons in the base. It had enormous firepower, had a big radar dish in the nose that was made of fiberglass, which was considered a wonder material. They were based out of Kirtland Air Force Base in Albuquerque. And they were apparently doing combat air patrol over Roswell at night. 
we had jet fighters, but none of them could fly at night at the time in 1947. And one of the craft crashed near Roswell, and the other one limped along and crashed near Socorro. It was apparently tracked down by radar. The government was there immediately to recover it. They didn't even know about the one that had crashed near Roswell until later, till the rancher brought in the pieces. And they rewarded him by buying him a new truck, apparently. And telling him yeah. not to talk about. Yeah, he showed up. Yeah, he showed up. <laughs> in town. He, he disappeared <laughs> for up a few and, days. Shut up! And here's the keys to your new truck. Yeah. So the big picture is that the reason the aliens are so interested in nuclear weapons is because they fear them. Nuclear weapons are basically the same cosmic power that powers supernovas. I mean, you know, other than making a planet into a black hole, there's not much anything worse. You don't need to make a planet into a black hole to destroy it. All you need to do is a big nuclear weapon, it'll destroy it, as happened on Mars. So the big picture is that we are apparently in a strategic region of the galaxy and the local interstellar neighborhood. That's why we are visited by so many different species. That's why we are so much a focus of attention to all these people. And that's what also guarantees it deters any one power trying to take over. So then, if you are in a situation like that and you're one of these hostile powers, what do you try and do? So let's say you have your own equivalent of Sun Tzu. Sun Tzu says the best way to win a war without any fighting whatsoever, not a shot being fired. Approach a walled city, don't bring up catapults and dig a big siege. That's expensive. That takes a long time. You have this army encamped around a long siege. Plague breaks out in the city. They toss corpses from the city out of the city. It spreads to the camp. You have Black Plague go raging in the camp. And Sun Tzu was writing also about medieval China. One of the reasons the Chinese are so big into psychological tactics is they're so vulnerable to them themselves. <laughs> There's nothing like having a Chinese army waking up and finding out that your Chinese army has disappeared during the middle of the night, even though the tents are still there, because they've lost the will to fight. So Sun Tzu says the best way to win a war is psychological razzle-dazzle, intimidation, all of these covert tactics to get the enemy to surrender without a shot, put them in your army, and then you've got a bigger army, and you march on to the next city. So that's Sun Tzu fighting in medieval China. Razzle-dazzle and fancy tactics, you only fight when you have to, according to Sun Tzu. Fighting is expensive and inhumane. He was kind of a humanitarian of sorts. He says, you know, Gosh, fighting, you kill people and they crippled and everything like this. And, you know, it's just don't do that. Don't do that. Bribe somebody to open the gate at night to the city and come in and occupy it. No fighting. Like Al Capone says, just do what I ask. I'm a businessman, you know. So that's Sun Tzu. The other art of war was written by von Clausewitz. He fought in Europe against Napoleon. He was a veteran of the war in Russia, and also he was chief of staff of an army that helped win Waterloo. He's fighting Napoleon. Napoleon is completely immune to psychological tactics. All he cares about is how much artillery does he have? Can he mass his infantry here? 
Does he have some good cavalry? That's all he cares about. He's completely immune, and you cannot win against Napoleon unless you are willing to endure heavy casualties. And in fact, you basically want to outnumber his army three to one to defeat mm-hmm. him. And that's what they did finally. They had to arrange an alliance of the Russians, the Prussians, the Austrians to crush him. And one of the great battles called the Battle of Nations that finally destroyed what was left of Napoleon's army after Russia. So according to von Clausewitz, great outcomes require great battles. He's the one who came up with the term fog of war, mm-hmm. the friction of war. One of his war sayings is politics by other means. Politics by other means. And unfortunately, that's what a situation may be. Sun Tzu even he says, you know, there's like five different grounds, and he says, on deadly ground, you just have to fight. You have to fight. Okay, we have the big picture. We have the Earth is strategically located. We're in the center of the Romulan neutral zone. That means we have people who don't want the Greys or anybody else taking over here. And then, of course, we have a bunch of good. And what do they want to do? They want a quiet knifing in the alley in the middle of the night. They don't want a gun battle in the streets. If there's a gun battle in the streets, it'll bring in the other powers. One of the reasons the Revolutionary War could be rationally proposed by the American colonies because they had seen the British army defeated by the French in the forest. They knew the British army was not invincible. They also knew that the British had a lot of enemies. And they also knew that the logistics favored, if you want to sail from Virginia to Great Britain, it takes two weeks in a sailing vessel. But because of the prevailing winds, if you want to sail from Britain to Virginia, it takes two months. Mm -hmm. Half your troops on your ships die. Three quarters of the horses die of your cavalry. Half of your rations, flour and all that, dried beef and everything, that goes bad in the voyage because it gets wet with seawater. So the American colonists knew that if they made the war last long enough, the British Army was not invincible. They could defeat it on occasion. They also knew the British would have a very difficult time bringing a large army over to the American colonies and supporting it. And they also knew that the British had many enemies. So the war began as a war between the American colonies and Britain. By the time it ended six years later, Britain was at war with France, the Netherlands, and Spain all at once. It had become a world war. They weren't just at war. And then they lost two armies here, at General Burgoyne's army, and they lost Cornwallis's army at Yorktown. And they just, the parliament revolted. The parliament had been kind of on the till for the king of England. And they just said, we don't care how much money you pay us. Lord North, who was King George's prime minister, 
when he heard that Cornwallis had surrendered, he just exclaimed, Oh my God, it's over. We've lost two armies now. And the French had actually blockaded the bay where Yorktown was located, Chesapeake Bay, and they'd actually defeated the English in a naval battle. That had not happened for like a hundred years. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this thing snowballed. And this is why I'm advocating disclosure must happen. I don't care if the aliens are threatening us. If they want to go to war with us, that's their choice. They'll lose a lot of people. If the war goes nuclear, the Earth will only be a a radioactive frozen wasteland. They don't want that. That doesn't gain them anything. They want to capture the Earth intact, and they want it done quietly. They want a Sun Tzu victory. So how are they going to... How are they doing this? Uh, they're going to do it quietly. And this, I think this leads right into okay. move on. Order. What they do is they threaten the government, the secret government, that if you go to disclosure, we'll consider that a hostile act and terrible things will happen. We'll start sinking Navy ships and stuff like this. What they're also doing is they're breeding hybrids. And this was my hypothesis that I wrote in 1990. I said, why would somebody be breeding hybrids between human beings? Somebody is physiologically different. The grays are apparently more closely related to insects than they are mammals. So you're trying to take two very different physiologies and combine them. The results apparently are not very impressive. They're apparently sickly, weak beings. And so why would you be doing that? Well, you're trying to transfer the human immune system to this hybrid race so it can live on Earth. So you can colonize the Earth with these hybrids and replace the human race. That's what they're trying to do. That is what they're trying to do. And key to that is to be able to get a large amount of genetic material from the human race so you can develop a robust hybrid that can dwell on this planet. Mm-hmm. And how do you do that? You do a lot of abductions. And that means the government has to cooperate by not allowing disclosure. Because if everybody knows that the aliens are coming in the middle of the night and trying to abduct people, they're going to sit up at night with AR-15s. The reports, by the way, are uniform in that aliens on the ground do not like being shot at and will run when they are shot at. They're not bulletproof, neither is their armor. They're wearing, and they just take casualties. And so they want the cover-up to continue so they can continue their hybridization program to hopefully develop a robust hybrid that can then colonize the Earth and replace the human race. How would they do that? Would they do it, introduce those hybrids... Uh, well, here's, manner, or? here's what I put in the novel that I wrote, Morning Star Pass, the collapse. Their scheme is that the quickest way to transfer all this nice protein that we are, they want to take the protein expression of humanity and transfer it into the protein expression of gray hybrid 
in the quickest manner possible. They want to increase the hybrid population as quickly as possible. And they want to reduce the human population as quickly as possible. How do you think they would do that? Through a genetic virus of some sort? No. They feed us to the hybrids. Oh. The proteins that we are sitting here are, are basically, uh, originally, the atoms were originally part of chicken, <laughs> fish, and beef. A little bit of rice and wheat thrown in, but it's basically the proteins that make us up are basically used to be part of the makeup, protein makeup of other animals. But how can they do uh, that in a stealthy manner without triggering? Oh, the final stages of it won't be stealthy, but if they control the media, nobody will know what's going on. I'm sorry. Once you control the sources of information for society, you can basically tell them anything you want. As Lenin said, a lie repeated often enough becomes the truth. So the key is to maintain yourself wrapped in mystery and fear and have the government be a partner with you in silencing anyone who comes close to the truth. And therefore, you can achieve this stealthy takeover. So that is why we must have disclosure. And disclosure will be frightening. But just like the people in Earth versus the Flying Saucers and Independence Day, you'll just have to man up. I'm sorry. And face this thing. Like your ancestors would have. Well, it's better than the current clown show. Oh, oh, much where, better. Where incompetent people are elevated to positions of power for things that have nothing to do with merit. Also, knowing the facts, people tend to try and connect the dots unconsciously. But then if they come up with something that the government says is forbidden, then they, a lot of people are like sheep and they just, so it takes a great deal of mental effort finally to deny reality. Mm-hmm. Just ask the Germans in the last year of World War II. They knew they'd lost. It was apparent to anybody who could read and write their own name. Well, they, but they also knew when they were fighting the Russians what would happen once the Russians took control. Oh, and, and yeah, and, and the Russians, and the Russians delib- lived up to it and did. And oh, even they worse. did. Right. And you know, and quite frankly, the Russians are the Rush. The Russians made war. The like, way literally, if you were a, a man or woman in Germany on the Eastern Front, and the Russians were coming for you. There was no reason to Surrender. try to survive that. No. Yeah. You would you would have been better but at off the same just time, dying in place. Right. At the same time, yeah, and I've heard that phrase, die in place. I talked to some guys who were just home from Europe. They'd been serving in the armored corps. They'd served on self-propelled 155 millimeter Alexis. artillery. Self-propelled. And they said they had been briefed that if the Warsaw Pact invaded, they were to go to the Felda Gap and die in place. And they, they were all listening to this and looking at each other. And they said, no, I don't think we're going to do that. We're going to do a fighting retreat and live to fight another day because Felda Gap, we can hold them for a while, but we'll just do a fighting retreat. We're not going to die in place. Then. By the way, that was my regiments before I was there. They used to be positioned in Europe. And that was their mission, the 11th Armored Cavalry Regiment, the Black Horse. They were to defend Fulda Gap. Uh, exactly. Exactly. By the way, I followed the Cold War very carefully because I was, I've was i always been part 
My father was a combat veteran in World War II, flew on a bomber. All my uncles on my mother's side were in combat infantry. One of them did not come home. He was killed in the last month of the war in the Philippines on the island of Samar. And the war was already over, basically, but the Japanese were up in the hills were still fighting. And so he got right. they had that guy they found like 30 years later who was hiding. Oh, oh yeah. Right. One of my very best friends I grew up with, and I knew his father very well. His father was a very tough guy. He was a World War II veteran, combat veteran, and he was a National Park Service ranger. And he would go out in the hills on horseback and take samples of the trees and see which kind of trees were growing and what the fire, forest fire. And he never talked about the war. And neither did my uncles on my mother's side. They never talked about the war at all. But I learned from my friend that his father had, you know, basically fought in the war in Europe, had met the Russians at the River Elbe. The war in Europe was over. They then put him on ships and shipped him to the Pacific, and he fought for another year in the Philippines against holdout Japanese. I mean, we're talking jungle fighting in the Philippines for a year after World War II was effectively over. But he was just stand-up guy, always a good guy, always enjoyed talking to him. And, you know, he's a forest ranger. And I really respected him. He was a very tough guy. But, but yeah, that's what he did in the war and then after the war. World War II did not end for him till about June of 1946 when they finally let him go home. And we're talking dirty night fighting, too. People slicing each other up at night and flamethrowers during the day and bayonets at night in between foxholes. But anyway, all I'm saying is that the human race comes from a long line of very tough customers. It's in our genes. We will do fine, I believe. In fact, I believe in all my heart that the future of the human race will look like Star Trek. That we will show ourselves to be very quickly. Once you know the truth and you can discuss the truth, it frees up an enormous amount of intellectual energy. Not only that, necessity is the mother of invention. I tell you, we are being kept in a kind of semi-dictatorship by the secret government because of this ET situation. Knowledge is power. They maintain power over us by withholding knowledge from us. But once we hear the truth, you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And there is nothing, no one can fight like free people against oppression, liberty or death. I have been criticized, by the way, for saying such things about the end of the UFO cover-up. And I said, hey, I'm part of the military intelligence community. I've been there ever since I took my first security clearance in 1975, swore to uphold the U.S. Constitution against all enemies, foreign, domestic. And I said, I know my history. One guy said to me, well, human beings, we may be remarkably warlike. And I said, well, ants wage war. Ants and termites wage wars against each other, and they have soldier ants and soldier termites, and they kill each other. 
it's not just a human thing. I mean, apes and baboons fight all the time over the same water hole. Chimps fight each other. Different tribes of chimps fight each other. Why they kill each other at a remarkable rate. So there is nothing uniquely human about waging war. Nothing about it. It, it is part of being a sentient being. So how does this thing predator. play out? Oh, well, I had the privilege of writing a trilogy that began with the collapse of the UFO cover-up because of two women, two very brave women. One's Asian-American named Cassandra Chen, and the other one is named uh, Pamela Monroe. That's her stage name. Her real name is Elena Monachenko. She's Ukrainian and half-Jewish. Her mother was Jewish in Ukraine, and they they bring down the UFO cover-up, and then there's a war with the Greys. But as the war goes on, the human race gets better and better and pushes the zone of conflict finally out to the moon. We invade the moon. We land troops on the front side of the moon, and they advance back to the far side to besiege the alien bases back there. By this time, other powers have joined. It becomes a full interstellar war. And finally, with the combination of human ingenuity, ability to assimilate captured technology, human ferocity and valor, and the help of friendly ETs, the Greys are driven out of the solar system. It's a complete disaster for them. It turns out they're the scum of the galaxy. Everyone hates them, and they're at war with some other group, and they basically weaken themselves so much fighting the humans. The solar system becomes the kind of the Russian front for the greys, and they lose their right arm right up to the shoulder here, and they can't recover. They're eventually destroyed by another race because they weaken themselves so much fighting us. So that's, I foresee a, well... I looked at a worst-case scenario. The best-case scenario is we end disclosure, and there's some adult supervision somewhere amongst the hostile species, and they decide they've upped the ante at this card game, and we have to fold and walk away. And that's what they do. They just evacuate. And that's a very highly intelligent thing to do under the circumstances. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we've captured all this technology. We reverse engineer it. We become spacefaring ourselves. We have our own warp drive, et cetera, et cetera. I already have a theory for warp drive. Other people have it also. I have a theory to unify gravity and electromagnetism. Einstein's theory of general relativity says you can bend electromagnetism with gravity, you know, bending light rays. That's what electromagnetic radiation is, light rays. And in my theory, which Einstein was also trying to create, the unified field theory, unifying gravity and electromagnetism. He not only wanted to have gravity bending light, he wanted light to bend gravity, to control gravity with electromagnetism. It can be done. We've actually seen experimental evidence of this, which, by the way, the government tried to debunk immediately some people reported that if they spun a gyroscope with three-phase tesla power 
that it would lose weight if you spun it counterclockwise, but not if you spun it clockwise. We got money, repeated the experiment, reproduced the same result. We repeated the experiment exactly as they published it. Then in the same journal that published this result that people saw this weight loss for the one spin direction, but the no spin, uh, and that's a quantum mechanical effect, by the way, this bunch of people from the University of Colorado, same place that did the Condon report, you know, saying, move along, folks, there's nothing here to see. So same people who did the Condon report said, we spun a gyroscope clockwise and counterclockwise, and nothing happened. It didn't change weight at all. What did they use to spin the gyroscope? Compressed air. They didn't use electromagnetism. Right. So they didn't repeat the experiment. It was a classic government, and by the way, rather ham-fisted, because when I read the refutation, I thought, they used compressed air. <laughs> That's not going to do this, you know... <laughs> They left out the electromagnetism, so we reproduced it. We got the same result. So how do you think we're going to find out about this? Oh, it's, well, I mean, we're part of the process right now, Sean. People are going to watch this. I worked in Washington, D.C. for 15 years, and I knew about stuff on Mars. Believe it or not, when I investigated Mars, I didn't believe in UFOs because the government had told me not to believe in UFOs. And it was kind of an unspoken message. I was a graduate student. Lowest form of human life is the graduate student at a big government lab. And I was basically said, told, Brandenburg, there are no UFOs, right? Mm-hmm. I said, yes, sir. Please sign my thesis, so I, <laughs> my doctoral thesis, so I can get out of here and get a real job. Buy my wife a nice house. I had promised her a nice house. I bought her. I got. I did get a nice. I got my PhD. Got out of there, bought a nice new house. And one of the things I had to leave at the door was any talk of UFOs. And when you're completely dependent on people for your working fellowship, they're paying your paycheck, they're giving you a road to become part of the scientific establishment and make a good salary. You're a patriotic person. You believe what your government tells you. Then you just see things their way. And then so I got out of school. Then I went to Sandia Labs in Albuquerque. And the mountains around there are very red, red. It looked like Mars. And we went through a nuclear crisis there. It's called Abel Archer, 1983. Yeah, I don't know if you were went through it, but I did. I did. It was a classified class. I would I would have been eight, I would have been eight years old. <laughs> oh, okay. There you go, Sean. Imagine you're at a government lab. We're working on directed energy weapons. I don't think the rest of the country knew about it. Like, No, they didn't. You can read about it on Wikipedia, though. We were this yeah. close to a nuclear war. We were closer than we were in the Cuban Missile Crisis. And what, in NATO, it staged a big exercise, and the Russians thought it was a Trojan horse, that we were going to attack them in the middle of the exercise. So they put all their nuclear forces on alert. NATO saw this and put all our forces on nuclear alert. All it would have taken is one off-course jet fighter. We would have had a nuclear war by accident. And so just before that happened, there was the nuclear winter came out that, you know, that more people would die of death of starvation and cold after nuclear war than would die in the original attack and fallout. 
And morale at the lab where I worked collapsed. All people would talk about was, gee, if there's a nuclear war, do I jump in my car and drive home and try and get my wife and kids out of town? Or do I just sit there and be blown up with them, figuring that's a quicker and more humane death? People would say that to me. I had resolved, by the way, when I worked at Livermore, we went through a minor nuclear crisis. It was the Polish uprising near the end of the Cold War. I was just going to get a cup of coffee and go out into the parking lot and sit there because I figured that streets would all be clogged if there was going to be a nuclear war. I wouldn't be able to even get home. So I was just going to sit there and we were going to be hit by 10 nuclear weapons at least at Kirtland Air Force Base where Sandia Labs was. So morale completely collapsed. Then we got Christmas break. Merry Christmas. I'm singing in church. Old little town of Bethlehem. All I can think of is right after Bethlehem, Jesus was born in Bethlehem, Herod's troops came and massacred all the kids, all the boys, two years and younger. I mean, that's my mental state. I have a little three-year-old daughter. I have a lovely wife, and I think we're all dead. The next time there's a crisis, by accident, we're just going to have a nuclear war. Earth will end up looking like Mars. Then I saw on a television program that they had found this face on Mars and a pyramid next to it. And it was over Christmas break. You know, we're all at home. And suddenly I had hope. I had hope because I said, if there's a dead civilization on Mars, then the United States and the Russians will cooperate and go to Mars together and we'll discover this and the Cold War will be over. I thought this will end the Cold War. So I suddenly had hope for the first time in years that the Cold War could end happily because of this stuff we were finding on Mars. Then I quickly found out that the people who had found this on Mars were actually being pressured by their own management at NASA not to talk about it. But we formed an independent Mars investigation team, a guy named Dick Holland, brilliant guy, formed this group, and, and we investigated. We found out it was true. There was the face. They had two pictures, two good pictures of the face. They had three good pictures of the pyramid, 10 kilometers from it. We looked at another place halfway around the planet at a similar site. We found another city with two faces, one of which looks a lot like the face on Mars, the original face. We'd done it. There was a dead civilization on Mars. And also there was apparently an old ocean bed. Both of these cities were apparently on the shoreline of an ancient ocean in the north of Mars. I actually presented a paper on the the face on Mars, but also on the ocean of Mars to a a thousand Mars scientists. They never get, but if you look under Wikipedia, Mars ocean theory, I'm reference number one. But the Mars community never gives me any credit because they say, if we give Brandenburg credit for finding the ocean on Mars, then he'll start talking about the face at Cydonia and it. This other place is, has a cool name. It's Galaxis Chaos. The face at Galaxis. So, and 
unfortunately, we also found, based on the isotopes, that Mars was probably nuked by somebody. But that happened before the dinosaurs. I don't think the people we're dealing with now had anything to do with that. That was something that happened in a bygone age. And right. It is the top of the hour. Sean, <laughs> <laughs> it has been just a, such a great pleasure and honor to be on your show. I have another topic I'd like to talk about. Externals out. I wrote another book. I'll just give you a hint. Richard Feynman won the Nobel Prize for Physics in 1962 for his theory of he unified quantum mechanics and electromagnetic theory. It's called QED, quantum electrodynamics. But before that, he worked with his thesis advisor, a guy named Wheeler. Wheeler was the guy who made the hydrogen bomb work. Mm-hmm. He was the yeah, physicist. Princeton. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Princeton. Wheeler. Wheeler and Feynman wrote up a theory where they found very carefully doing electromagnetic theory, they found out that if you vibrate an electron, it makes radiation. The radiation goes out, speed of light. And as time goes on, this big sphere of light expands. But in order to make the equations balance, you have to have the reverse solution, that a zone of radiation is actually collapsing around In other words, there's a wave that goes forward in time, but a wave that comes backwards in time. That means the future can actually talk to the past. And scientists do not like talking about this because everyone knows that's impossible. The future can't talk to the past. But according to the very precise theory of of physics worked out by Wheeler and Feynman. It's never been refuted. It's considered a puzzle, and therefore scientists don't like to talk about it. You can have signals from the future affect the present. Not only stuff like Alpha Centauri. If Alpha Centauri fluctuates and it sends out a light signal that we pick up with telescopes, we know that happened four years ago. Right. But we can actually receive signals from Alpha Centauri from four years in the future. As it turns out, the two waves have to balance at each electron, exactly. Or else I, everything blows up. So there is a basis, physical basis for prophecy. Anyway, always good to be on your show. And yes, disclosure must happen is essential to our defense. Absolutely, my friend. The defense of the United States and humanity. Okay. You have a great day. Great evening. Thank you so much, Sean, for having me on your show. Always a pleasure. Thank you, John. If you enjoyed today's video, please hit like and subscribe. And also hit the notification button so you can be notified whenever I post new content. Thank you. Now, if you're enjoying the channel and you want to support it, there are several things you can do. In fact, there are five things you can do. The first thing you can do is just buy my books. I got plenty of books out in the market right now, and I would prefer that folks buy a book rather than giving me direct support because they get something out of it. They have a real tangible product. The second way you can support me is by becoming a member on YouTube or becoming a patron on Patreon. And just go to either site and it'll explain everything. 
third way you can support the channel is by checking out my merch site, which is here. There's plenty of stuff that you could get to support the channel. And I'd appreciate that you, you have it and you can wear it. Not only do you help support the channel, but you also help promote the channel, and I appreciate that. The fourth way that you can support the channel, and this is really easy, is anytime you want to buy something on Amazon, literally just go to the description below and click on any link, literally any link. The channel gets a cut of that, and it costs you no extra money. You just go through the link as I'm part of the Amazon Affiliates Club. The fifth and final way you can support the channel is through donations. Now, I don't prefer these because it's more of a expression of gratitude, but you don't really get anything out of it as a subscriber to the channel. However, if you decide to do these options, there's two options. There's Buy Me A Coffee, which is a separate site. And there's also, you can go through YouTube with either a Super Chat, Super Sticker, or a Super Thanks. Again, I prefer Buy Me A Coffee because that organization takes less money than Amazon does. But either way, I appreciate any support you are willing to give the channel. So thank you very much and keep watching. I really appreciate it.